Well, Student Sunday and Pentecost Sunday, as we said before, uh, trying to think, where do you go in the Bible to find a passage that is appropriate to uh, fit our Sunday? And, and thankfully, God laid it on King David's heart to write Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Let me uh, read uh, part of that to you so you get a sense of what we're talking about. David wrote, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament proclaims the works of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It's like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. So David said the first way God reveals himself is in his creation. That's surrounding us, all around us. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows us the work of his hands. So David said, as I stand out into the night sky, and, and you remember David was a shepherd. He spent many nights in the total darkness with no, no other light out there looking up at the stars, looking up at the skies. And so here David is saying, you know what? As, as, as a sensitive child of God, I don't just look at the stars. I don't just look at the moon. I, during the day, I don't just see the sun. What I see is God's magnificent handiwork. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day upon day pours forth speech. Night after night declares his glory, the glorious work of his hands. What a beautiful picture. And I say, Lord, I I would love to have a heart like that. A heart that just whatever I see reminds me of your magnificent self. Whether it's the The huge thing of the universe and the stars and all of that, or a flower. The other morning, a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting here, and and if you look out that window, you see all that green, and there was a little yellow butterfly just flipping around out there. I thought, what a beautiful, beautiful thing. God created that tiny little butterfly. So whether you think in macro terms or micro terms, whether you're looking through your telescope or your microscope, we should, along with David, see God. We should take the scales off our eyes and off our ears and let God speak to us nonstop in his creation. Now, David said, I I appreciate the magnificent stuff that God made. I, I look up at the sky, I look up at the stars, and I just think, Holy, maybe to say holy mackerel, whatever it was he said, wow, whatever your expression is, overwhelming. But, but what's interesting is, is, is David never had a telescope, much less Hubble or now James Webb. And we see these pictures and what David could see with his naked eye blew him away. What should it do is we look at pictures of This heavens declaring the glory of God. 
A few years ago, I read a thing about a supernova. David didn't know about a supernova. Have you never heard of a supernova? I hadn't until I read this thing. A supernova. Let me read what I read about it. On February 23, 1987, an astronomer in Chile observed the explosion of a supernova, a blast so powerful it released as much energy in one second as our sun will release in one billion years. God, boy, now there's a suntan. That explosion did not occur on February 23, 1987, the date it was observed. It it occurred 170,000 years prior to the moment it was seen. And the light, traveling at 6 trillion miles a year, took 170,000 years to reach the Earth. Incredible, unbelievable power and distance trillion my mind can't even comprehend that. Now, I read that, and I thought, well, that is, is that true? Or did some astronomer get too heavy into his mushrooms and then go look through his <laughs> telescope and, whoa! So I, I asked uh, Gina, uh, 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 Jacqua, Lena Jacqua. I always get her name mixed up. Dr. Lena Jacqua. She was one of our science professors at Colorado Christian University. Uh, PhD in astrophysics, a genuine rocket scientist. So I went and, and, and said, Lena, I read this thing. Is it, could that be true? She said, oh, yes, no question. And, and she said, in fact, that's the kind of thing that brought me to Colorado Christian University, to share with students, young Christians, just how immense our God really is. The heavens declare the glory of God. So we celebrate. We celebrate God by inquiring, by by asking questions. If God is the one who pours out that kind of knowledge, then our response is to inquire. We love him because he first loved us. We respond to him by responding to his attributes. I hope there are times in your own meditation, in your own prayers, where while you're, thank you, God, which is wonderful, but thank you, God, for. Thank you, God, that. That you get specific. If I said to Jeanette, I love you because... Well, you know. Say, oh, yeah, thanks. Uh, happy anniversary to you, too, Bummo. <laughs> no, you, you, why do you love me? Why do you appreciate me? Give me a specific. Card is nice. But why? And so as we come to God, think of a particular attribute. I love you because you love me. I give because you give. And I inquire because you reveal. It's the natural human response. As I look at the sky, I look at it all the time, but sometimes, once in a while, just stop and say, wow! Hey, there's that little butterfly again. Look at that. Okay, butterfly, go away. Now look at me. Forget the butterfly, okay? (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Right there. Yeah, but when you see that, there's a butterfly. No! Look at that butterfly. 
We hear this young guy play the violin. And we say, Lord, thank you that I can hear harmony. I see the green and the yellow. Thank you that you created me in Technicolor. Why do you do that? You did that so that I could worship you for the beautiful things you've created. But then David said, okay, that's one way God reveals himself. It's a beautiful thing. But then he continues on, and he said, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm. All of them are righteous. So in six different ways, David talked about how God not only reveals himself in general revelation through his creation, but he also reveals himself in special revelation through the scriptures. And he picks six different ways of talking about God's special revelation, God's specific revelation. I, I see the stars and I worship God in one way, but I come to this book and I, I, I see, okay, that's general. I get the big picture, but now I get very specifics. I learn more about God. And, and so the, these, these six words, uh, uh, this is poetry, okay? And poetry uh, is written mostly in, 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 most of it is two lines, and the two lines correspond. Some people call uh, some forms of this, of this literature, uh, 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 what's the word? Anyway, they, they almost match, but not quite. Um, synonymous parallelism. I couldn't think of the word. Uh, but they're not exactly synonymous. And so saying, okay, he's saying the same thing twice, but he's putting a little bit of a twist, putting a little bit of an angle on it. So six different times, he talks about the Bible, the, of course, for him, the, 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 the law. And so the first thing he says is the law is perfect. And that's the word Torah. Most of you are familiar with the word Torah. And, and Torah is just the general teaching of God. It's not referring, it, it's used of the first five books of Moses, but here, as David's using it, he just says the, 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 the ethical, moral principles, the ethical, moral code of conduct that God has given us. He talks about God just all through the scriptures. God teaches us how to live. The statutes of the Lord. This is a solemn statement made under oath. It's a promise. The statutes of the Lord, the promises of God, the precepts of God. These are specific policies and guidelines. Now, if you're an elder or deacon, you were here yesterday, and, and we know Bill Bramer is a policy wonk, and he has all these policies. Well, God does too, so Bill's not the first one. Policies. Just ways to live life. These are the rules, regulations. This is how it works. The precepts of the Lord. The commands of the Lord. And here he gets down. These are like the Ten Commandments. They aren't the Ten Suggestions. They're the Ten Commandments. The commands of the Lord. Do this and don't do that. The commands of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. These are instructions offered by God to teach us how to worship Him. How to relate to Him. The decrees of the Lord are the judgments, the determinations, the decisions of the Lord. So these different ways David talks about God's holy scriptures and the way God instructs us. The, the law of the Lord is perfect. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. You can trust them. 
The precepts of the Lord are right. His principles, his guidelines, they're right. The commands of the Lord are radiant. They're obvious. They're clear. The fear of the Lord is pure. The decrees of the Lord are firm and righteous. The law of the Lord is perfect. It refreshes the soul. As I think about God's ethic, God's principles for how we should live life, refreshes the soul. I know how to live. I can come back to where I belong. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. How do I get smarter? David said by studying the statutes, the solemn promises of God. The precepts of the Lord are right. They rejoice the heart. I'm glad. I'm thrilled to know what God wants for me. The commands of the Lord are radiant, enlightening the eyes. I know how I should live. The fear of the Lord is pure. It endures forever. It's always in effect. It can be depended on. The decrees of the Lord are firm and righteous. So he just goes through line after line of saying, yes, God reveals himself there in general ways, and he reveals himself here in very specific ways. Praise God. He's the God who reveals. How do I respond to the God who reveals? I glory in the stars and the butterflies. And I glory and I learn from this very specific, beautiful book. Is there a more valuable treasure on this planet than this thing? Marvelous, beautiful thing. And just as we see the power of God in the supernova, we also see the power of God in a man named Gulanuk. You can't all see this. You should. Isn't he a beautiful man? He lives in western Papua, or he lived. He's, I'm sure he's gone now. Jeanette and I and the boys went there. I was doing uh, some workshops for a uh, missionary aviation fellowship, and we lived in various places around uh, Indonesia, around Papua New Guinea at, at that time. It was also called Irian Jaya. Gulanuk was a fierce warrior. He had killed many men with his Stone Age axe, with his spear, with his arrows. And he had eaten many men's hearts and livers to gain their spirit and their strength. When he became too old to be a warrior, he became the village spirit man, a deeply demon-possessed man. He could do things that you wouldn't believe if they weren't so well documented by so many people in their own village and in other villages. When we took this, we took this picture, he fell in love with my wife, Jeanette. He just followed her around, and I was getting jealous. You're not going to leave me for this guy, are you? Anyway, so Leon took a picture of him. Leon was the missionary who went there, this Stone Age tribe. And, and at the time we knew Gulanuk, he was in the Mulia Bible Institute. You see, Leon went there, and he was the first white person they had ever seen. They were going to kill him a number of times. I'll tell you this story another time. I don't have time to go into the details of this story. When we got home from our month in uh, Irian, in Papua, 
we picked up our mail, and there was a Time magazine in our mail. On the cover of one of those issues of Time magazine was Leon Dillinger, <laughs> the missionary, whose first son is named Chris, after the same man my son is named for. So we, we didn't go there to see them. We went there. But anyway, I'll, I'll tell you that story another time. Why was Leon on Time magazine the missionary of the year? Because some anthropologists had gone there. You, you know, the typical Aryan uh, Jaya family was a mother, father, two kids, and an anthropologist. And they were studying these people. Like, what in the world is going on? And the reason they honored Leon is he never told them they had to change their way of life. They were still naked. But they no longer threw their babies in the Balim River as a sacrifice to the God. They no longer had the men's hut where the men lived all together and they just went out and impregnated a woman as they thought it was good so they could reproduce their tribe. The women lived and took care of the kids. They no longer ate the hearts and livers of their enemies. They no longer initiated war. They only defended themselves against invaders. How did these changes occur if Leon never told them they had to do that? He taught them the word of God. And they made the decisions of saying, you know, it probably isn't right to throw our firstborn baby into the Balim River. Maybe we should think about marrying these women. What's this family, wife, what's all this stuff? So Leon just teaching the commands, the precepts, the Torah, took this dear Gulenuk, a fierce warrior and a demon-possessed, dangerous spirit man, and turned him into a Bible student. That's the power of God. See, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork, and so does this. Didn't look at my watch. <laughs> Brad said, don't look at your watch, because then everybody else does. <laughs> they wonder if you're going overtime. <laughs> so I, I put my watch here now. I said, thank you, Brad. So stop looking at your watches. Guy says, no, I'm not looking at the time. It's a calendar watch. I'm wondering if it's still Sunday. <laughs> All right. Now that I've woken you up. The, uh... Now, some people say, okay, you've got these two kinds of revelation." You've got God reveals himself in his creation, and God reveals himself in scripture. This is general revelation. This is specific revelation. And now we've got people down here, and we study God. We study things. We are students. And so as we go up this side, the discipline we use is called science. And we use science to study God's creation. And we go up this side and we use theology and exegesis to study God's revelation in Scripture. And there are people who say, you know, these two things just don't get along. Science. Bad stuff. Bad stuff. They don't believe the Bible. And the scientists say, bunch of wackos over there. Well, sometimes that's the case. But the same God spoke to us through creation and through revelation of Scripture. 
And it's absurd to think that the two are contradictory. If we can't figure out how they fit, that's our problem. And that's our challenge. When I was, became dean of the School of Theology, I called Mark Parker, PhD in biology, chairman of the science department. I said, Mark, I got an idea. How about if your department and my department gets together once a month for lunch? Let's talk about stuff. He said, you guys want to talk to us? And I said, us guys need to talk to you. We need to learn from you. Because, you know, a, a student goes out of my Old Testament introduction course into your biology course. Is he going to hear you saying something that I'm not supposed to believe? And am I supposed to be, comes into my class, and am I going to ridicule what you're teaching? Absolutely not. So we began doing that. We had PhDs. Lena Jacques was the lady I referred to before, PhD in astrophysics, PhD in geology, PhD in biology, PhD in Old Testament, PhD in New Testament, PhD in theology. We're having lunch and we're talking about how we integrate these two beautiful revelations that God has given us. I read a book that I would highly recommend, The Language of God, by Francis Collins. There was an article, Associated Press ran an article on Dr. Collins. It says, genomics researcher Francis S. Collins, a former atheist, became an evangelical Christian after applying scientific modes of inquiry to the question of God's existence. The title of the article is God Under a Microscope. Biologist preaches that religion and science can coexist. And I would say must coexist. See these precious little boys are sitting down here this morning? It's our job, folks, to say God teaches you through science. And God teaches you through theology. This book, uh, let me just give you a blurb on Francis Collins is one of the country's leading geneticists and longtime head of the Human Genome Project. Not a weenie kind of a scientist. In fact, one of the people who endorsed this book says Francis Collins, one of the world's most distinguished scientists, treats the relationship of science and religion with reason and reverence. And the person who wrote this is William Phillips, Nobel laureate in physics. So there are a bunch of scientists out there saying, I have no problem with God. In fact, I love God. I worship God. Jesus is my personal Savior. And so let's, let's think about the fact that the, all truth is God's truth. And God doesn't lie over here and tell us the truth over here. Have you read some of the stuff scientists say? Yeah. Some pretty wacko stuff. Have you read some of the stuff theologians say? <laughs> also some pretty wacky stuff. So let's don't let the wackos take the field. It's folks like us who say, I haven't figured it out yet. But there's some way that the scriptures and the science at every point have to mesh. Because the same God 
revealed both. And I can't cut myself off from a whole part of God's creation, whether I say I won't read the Bible or I won't take science seriously. I worship God by looking through the telescope and through the microscope. And I worship God by reading the Word of God and by fellowshipping with beautiful people like you who also read the Word of God and who also appreciate God's creation. And together we grow, and and, and what a wonderful, beautiful privilege it is to be men and women who God created with a brain that can comprehend the beauty that he has put all around us and the specific instructions and encouragement that he's put in this book. We serve the God who reveals. We serve the God who sent his Holy Spirit to lead us into truths that are beyond our normal comprehension. We worship God as inquirers because he is the God who reveals.